Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Welcome back to The Ramble. Today I've had a busy man. I got a busy guy in here because I've been trying to get this guy in here for a year. And I am very grateful for his presence today. I can get him out into the bush hunting a lot easier than I can get him into that's, the podcast. That's studio. an easy one. That's, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's make a, a proper intro. Mr. Rob Blair, my friend, has earned his reputation for building iconic sportswear brands by bringing product leadership and transformational ideas to his roles at Red Bull, Nike, Gap, Lululemon. How is that? for a resume (laughs) right there. The American boxer and more. Rob has demonstrated a sharp eye for identifying market opportunities that lead to high growth product lines, and he knows what it takes to disrupt a category and stand out, create demand, and succeed in a highly competitive marketplace. Welcome. There we go. All that's Shit is true. <laughs> I know that is Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Uh, because I have worked with you yeah, and uh, I have seen uh, it in action. Hmm. Yeah, no thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Does it like when you think about that and you're like, Red Bull, Nike, Gap, Lululemon, like and you're like, Yeah, I worked at those places and I was I was there and I was making stuff happen. It's like most people would dream about something like that. Do you want to know what's crazy? Is when, when people ask me about my career, and you know, certainly, you know, I've been really fortunate. I've been, I'm super grateful. I've been fortunate in my career to have some pretty cool assignments and some pretty dynamic brands. But again, we're all hardwired differently, and, and I never look back. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking forward. So when you classify who you are, I'm a builder. Mm-hmm. I love building. You know, one of my passions is brand building. And so I'm always looking what's next. And I very rarely, and probably it's a bit of a fault, I rarely look in the rearview mirror and take that, that mental inventory of like, hey, you know what? That was a, that was a, like a big chapter of your life and you, you accomplished a lot and you learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's one thing I would say, you know, it'd be, you know, take those moments to pause, reflect, um, and then use it as fuel as you move forward. You mm-hmm. know? Totally. And I think it's really interesting that you you use these words, I'm a builder. Okay. So because when you go to college or you're in high school, you don't go to the fucking career council and they're like, <laughs> like are you a builder? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? yeah that's the, that doesn't come under the Myers-Briggs profile. <laughs> Myers-Briggs profile. Absolutely. But yet it is what you are. And it probably mm. is what... So many others are, but they don't know it or they don't know how to contextualize it. How did you, this may be a long-tailed answer, but sure. like, how did you get to the place where you were able to identify this superpower that you have and step into it? You know, it, it's, it is a long, a long tail. Um, Ramble on, baby. It's a bit, of, it's, it's, it, honestly, it's a bit of a banana peel. I call it the banana peel. You slip on the banana peel and you don't even realize it. And at some point you realize that, you know, you're not just a, 
a, a co-pilot in the seat, you are actually driving. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting inflection point for everyone. And, and I know, you know, at certain points in my career when I had that, but when I was a young age, I was always very entrepreneurial, you know, back in the days of, you know, uh, high school, uh, actually it was junior high, you know, making throwing stars and selling them out of the back page of my binder. I mean, I was doing all these crazy things. What were things. they made out of? <laughs> we're talking like shop room, actual metal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> kill yeah. A guy. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I remember we had the premium throwing star for $5. It was like, you know, crazy. I think I about it now. I was not expecting that to be your first I, business. I, you know, it, it was one of those, um, you know, it, but as I went through my career and I had the opportunity to work in family businesses. And so, you know, family was always very entrepreneurial, not necessarily by instinct, more by situation. And so I grew up in that space. And then there was a certain point in when I went to university and I, I, I was on my path to becoming a doctor. And so I was doing a pre-med program in science in Ottawa. And I had this moment of pause where I realized that it's probably not the right path for me because at that point, you're right. Mm-hmm. Career counseling, coming out of boarding, boarding school, career counseling doesn't you know, define you of who you are and what's going to move the needle for you. Um, you know, they put you into buckets mm-hmm. and they take on based on you know, your aptitudes in different classes, whether it's mathematics, sciences, and they classify you and almost prejudge to where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that worked back in the day, but we're certainly at a different time now. And so, you know, throughout my career, I found that I gravitate to um, building stories, mm-hmm. you know, threading stories together and then putting those stories with products and services. And so at an early day, I found myself in the fitness business. You know, I took a step back from university and went and traveled Southeast Asia and, and you know, went to discover myself. And what I came back from Southeast Asia with was, you know, hundreds of dollars of silver bracelets that I was on my route to Hawaii to sell on the beach. Mm-hmm. So I can go back to Southeast Asia. And I was going to tell the story about my journey in Southeast Asia and, and, you know, not even realizing what that was at the moment. Play it forward 10 years. I'm now building consumer product brands for, you know, global brands and companies and play it, you know, another 10 years forward. And I've now had a seat at the table at some of the largest brand or brands on the planet Mm -hmm. and doing that on a, on a, on, you know, on a, on a very different level. And so, you know, it's interesting, you, you don't plan. And I don't think somebody goes out and say, I'm going to be a builder and I'm going to go and build these great brands. Mm -hmm. There's elements of attributes that you have as a person. Um, and, with the right experiences and the right exposure. And again, pulling on the thread gives you that ability to really define that muscle and work it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would say, sure, I'm a builder, love building brands. I can't look at something without thinking about contextualizing it in a commercial sense. And also from a sense of emotion and, you know, from a, from a lifestyle and all the elements that go into building, you know, these iconic you know, emotional brands. And I still feel like I'm still just beginning, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the beginning because you know, it, the world's fluid, everything's fluid around us. It's changing. And yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm just as curious and just excited today as I would, was, you know, 20 years ago when I started my career. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. Sometimes I think it's a bit of a curse because it's like, yeah. I can't go on a vacation. I can't go and do something without literally, you know, letting my brain, my brain start to engage on some stimulus that, you know, I was exposed to. And then you start to go down the rabbit hole. 
Yeah. You know, and you just wish, God, where's that red pill? Yeah. You know, or, or the, what is it? The blue pill? You know, where's that blue pill? It's, it's real, man. I was just listening to Rogan on the way in <clears throat> to the art studio and he was just, he was just saying he was on vacation. He says he really struggles with it. He mm-hmm. says he really struggles with it because he feels guilty the whole time, yeah. which I do. I'm sure you do, but he says it's an incredibly effective creative reset for him to come back just roaring. Yeah. Whereas his guest, which was David Goggins, was saying, "Oh yeah, he never vacations, but he, of course, Goggins. <laughs> he does push-ups and burpees. Yeah, right. But he was saying like his like little moments throughout the day. So he won't work and eat. Right. I'll work and eat. He won't like in the shower. He try. He shuts off his mind. He tries to find these moments throughout the day. I mean, that seems it's just very Goggins to me. Like yeah." This very, Micro vac- yeah. That's not yeah. a micro vacation. Yeah. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to go on a vacation <laughs> for 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, no, give me, a, give me a beach. But it is. It's like, I don't know how. This is why I always say entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Yeah. Because it is a blessing and a curse. It doesn't shut off. It doesn't shut I, off. You know, I, I've been in the gutter of gutters in terms of financial a financial nightmare because of a, a, like a, 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 a catastrophe of businesses imploding on me at the same time, right? <laughs> and the next, I'm starting like a business. It's like it's like the little fern that grows out of the forest fire, right? And it's not just one fern. And I'll be like, well, I'm going to do these two things simultaneously. And like the wife shakes her head. And, Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Are you the same thing? Like, Absolutely. You know, it, just doesn't... it doesn't turn off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, the only place, and I've thought about this, you know, and actually on our last trip together up in the mountains, and I was trying to, I was trying to articulate, you know, how important it is to have those moments because obviously it disrupts a lot of things. It disrupts family, it disrupts business, you know, or, or at least in the other people's eyes, it disrupts because it breaks your continuity and consistency in that, in that, you know, in that, in that space and your involvement. But as a person, how important it is because it's, probably, you know, I know for me, you know, when I get out in the back country, it's probably the only place I yeah. let my mind shut off. And why? Because now I'm no longer tethered mm-hmm. to social media. I'm no longer tethered to, you know, business, family commitments that are, that mm-hmm. are always moving around. And it's a chance for me to decompress. Mm-hmm. It's like all of a sudden the pressure vents all get let go and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm in a happy place. Mm-hmm. And when I come back, even if it's exhausting and we're out spending five hours doing packouts and, you know, minus 20 shivering. Waking up at three and. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's all part of the experience. And you mm-hmm. come back mentally recharged. Physically, you might be exhausted, but mentally recharged. Yeah, you feel, you know, we're talking, we're talking about hunting here a little bit and, and, and just getting outside, but mm-hmm. you feel tough as hell. You feel like, yeah. oh, I am capable of more than I realized I was capable of, even though. The last time I went into the bush, I did the exact same stuff. It's like somehow it renews that sense of capacity. 100%. And I, and I love it too. And, and you're right. And I, I'm curious about that because I, I don't know when the span of these businesses is that you've worked in, but this, this constant connection and the role of social media, was it always there? Or were you ever designing and creating and building an environment in which that almost played no part? Mm-hmm. in the building of a brand. Was yeah. Better or worse? <laughs> yeah. I mean, social media for me, when I, I was probably a late adopter to Instagram, 
And, you know, one of my passions is photography. Mm -hmm. And I've had this really interesting life because of roles and assignments um, and because of travel and where I've lived and things I've done. Social media became an outlet for me to express creativity. And so I would capture moments and it was the artistic moment. And, you know, it's what the image told you the words wouldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that was my outlet. Well, play it forward, you know, 15 years. And now, you know, I, I, I almost am reluctant to participate in social media because it's become this world of a facade that is really, I think, taking society into a bad place. Mm -hmm. And I, I look at it as a little bit of a runaway train where how do you recover from that? Mm -hmm. Because you can't just turn it off. You can't, you know, you can. People have become, you know, conditioned to this light culture now. And, and it's about, you know, how much more I can do to, you know, make fun of myself so that I can get more likes. Mm -hmm. And I just think, you know, we've gone in a bad place and it's, it's, it's tough because I participate, you know, as an entrepreneur and, and having a, a company that has, you know, a connection on social media because it, it does, it's a vehicle to share messages, but there's so much noise mm -hmm. and there's so much contrived noise that I think the purity of what social media originally, and maybe, you know, maybe that's naive of me thinking that, but what it stood for has now been commercialized in a place that's taken to a bad place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It, it's really, it's really interesting. I was, I, I'd heard that, we'll see if this all fits together. I'd heard that Hugh Jackman, I think he's like in his fifties, he's playing yeah. the Wolverine again, and he can't physically get to the same shape he was in for Wolverines have passed that he's played, sure. right? just that monstrous physique. And the conversation that was being had around that was that, so you've got, you know, you've got The Rock who just did Black Adam. Black Adam, yeah. You know, and there's, there's a debate because I think, I think I could be wrong. I think he's denying being on steroids. He's denying? I think so. I think he's saying he's clean. Not that he's never been on steroids, that he's not presently. Allegedly. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you know, and then guys like the Liver King, popular, you know, charlatan, I guess, if you want to call it that, sure, saying yeah. this is a body built by, you and I eat liver. You and I eat deer heart. We don't look like that no. fucking guy, right? <laughs> Point being is that, like, there's a praying happening on... We get painted this uh, this thing, mostly via social media, but f via the silver screen as well, that this is what we can look like. This sure. is what we can have. When the things that go into actually having that are not being told to us, and like what it takes to, to, to get that is, is just not attainable. And so then we get into this negative cycle of, well, I'm not good enough, and I'm not you know, I'm not worthy and this and that. And like, and then that, and then we see that in our kids. Yeah. And it's, I think that where that's morphing and then I'll hand the, you know, the mic back yeah, over yeah. is like, is brands have to think about their responsibility differently right. and individuals differently <clears throat> than we did when this first came out. What's your thoughts on that? I, well, we've had conversation about this prior and, and certainly, you know, we, we are certainly, you know, aligned and have a meeting of the minds on, on, on the topic. And, and so I, I agree. I think there's a responsibility of brands and right now brands aren't being governed and, you know, just the way, you know, 10 years ago, social and, um, environmental 
responsibility of, of companies wasn't there. Now there is triple bottom line and they're being measured mm-hmm. and there's an accountability, which is great. You know, I think the, probably the next wave will come into social responsibility and, or social accountability and yeah. how, how they manage brands. Because you, you look at, and again, I don't have stats in front of me, but the, the, the number of cases of anxiety in kids and youth mm-hmm. and um, depression and, and all of these factors are from this ideal self-concept. Mm-hmm. And the gap is so wide between the realities of their life versus what they, they see themselves. And so you're, you're getting this, this huge glut of depression happening you know, across society. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think you know, we haven't hit the wall yet, but it, we're getting close. Mm-hmm. I really do think so. I mean, I've, I've certainly you know, seen it in, in my family and my network. You know, and certainly my peer group of people who have, you know, they're, they have, um, they've struggled. And as a result of um, social media, you know, from bullying to depression to anxiety. And, and, and I, I mean, it's a small segment of, you know, what's going on in, in society and, and right now. It really, yeah, you know, in the pendulum, it ends up swinging so far to the other way that we get hyper-inclusivity. Mm-hmm. which is is not the antidote to complete unattainable aspirational marketing because what falls into this is one you know you have someone like uh, the the scandal around the nutritionists inside craft the company mm-hmm. which is you know they make garbage food like, yes so let's not pretend but then, you know, you don't food shame, you, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't go there, you be who you want to be. But what if that is not the healthiest option for you, right? right? And so we get this, this thing and we're like, how do we like level this thing out at the middle so that we, we can feel safe and sane in our, our heads and our minds and our body again. And, well, and, and, and also, I mean, let me add to that. How do you turn it off? Yeah. We just talked about Joe Rogan and having, you know, a moment to get away and not being able to turn it off. And we are all exposed to that. Take social media out of the equation. We're still not able to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Now you have another element of social media that becomes a vice for people to turn off their reality. Mm-hmm. And so you're constantly being exposed to it. How do you how do you turn it off? Like how do you unplug? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, there's there's a guy named. You Kevin. go into the mountains and you go really, really high. Hunting, hunting, <laughs> hunting is how you turn it off. It's it's um. I mean, there's a there's an author's name Cal Newport writes for the New Yorker. He writes he writes a book called A World Without Email, which reimagines this usage. I don't think it. I I haven't read it. I heard him talk about it on mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss's podcast. It reimagines how we should use this. But he's really focused on this idea of deep work. And other people in the space would say, you do not get ahead. You do not create something truly amazing without deep, undistracted, focused work on the thing. You can't write a book without sitting down and writing the book. You're not writing the book whilst commenting on posts because you have what's called a context change. Mm -hmm. And when you have the context change, you lose the flow and the flow is where the magic happens. So for you, someone who has again and again and again 
showing up at these big companies as well as on your own and brought forth big ideas. You know, I reread the line from, you know, your big ideas that disrupt a category that stand out, that create demand. Mm-hmm. How, what is your process for getting into that space where you can create that thing? that isn't a me too, look-alike, whatever brand? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and the, the deep work, absolutely, that is, you know, nothing comes without work. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the work. And I, I when I was doing my, um, you know, one of my degrees, you know, I remember going through a team exercise where we had some, some challenges, some conflict in the teams. Because there is a, and again, it goes into personalities, and, and there is the, a to C approach, which is, you know, a higher propensity of people will move A to C and get to resolution of whatever they're trying to solve for. And then there is the approach where you go A to D, back to B, out to, you know, G, back to F, and it's the work and the work. And that's where the magic comes. And then you talk about the state of flow. And so, you know, with the companies that I've worked at, you know, a big part of that has been developing a culture mm-hmm. and a culture that is curious and you never, never defines tomorrow by what you did yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter, walk into a new brand, a new company, you know, new assignment. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's all new. And so you may have years of experience, but that all it does is helps you inform a point of view. It doesn't help you define mm-hmm. the it. What got you there? Hundred percent. Will not. What got you here will not get you there. Is that the expression? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're saying that in your experience, these these literal best brands in the world that you've worked for, they have that. That is what they're channeling. This not rest on the laurels of some. 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 I mean, I think it, it, you know, it's not, I would say there's elements of different companies and we could walk through the time history of different brands. And, and certainly as, as brands get to a certain point, they shift from being builders and creators to becoming harvesters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the natural, uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's the natural, but it seems to be the, the prevailing methodology of, of business. What's the, I hear you. And, and so if I look at, from my perspective, you look at somebody like Red Bull more or less has been able to maintain its brand equity. Yep. And then you look at somebody like Nike that really fell off and then, and was really cheapened, harvested to your point, but then just came back in the freshest, most exciting way you could ever imagine and reinvented itself into luxury, into collab. Yeah. And then you look at somebody like Gap. So we'll just, we'll stop with Gap <laughs> and we'll say, kind of tried the blueprint of Nike with the Kanye West's gonna design and yada, yada, yada. But what is the difference between what is happening from your perspective where these brands can go through these real big valleys mm-hmm. and then come out or not sure. come out? Yeah, I mean, the, the simple answer to that is organizations that are design-led mm-hmm. versus merchant-led. And I don't mean that as a detriment towards merchants, but... Can you just define design? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so creative-led, meaning that design, um, creative 
drives. So innovation, you know, creative innovation drives storytelling, drives the, the, the tip of the spear of a company versus merchant led where organizations have matured to a certain point where now it's being run by the numbers. And so decisions are being made by the numbers, not by the experience, not by what the brand stands for. It's not casting out in the future, bringing the future forward to give consumers, you know, uh, an experience that they haven't, they didn't define or, or, or didn't ask for. And that's, that is, you know, that's why you have companies like the Gap. And that's why Gap's gone through massive closures, consolidation, you know, they're, you know, if you, you look at it from a retail standpoint, dollars per square foot, you know, range between 150 and to $250, $300 square foot. And, you know, whereas the Lululemons of the world, you know, at their peak saw $2,800 a square foot plus. And so there's a huge, huge, you know, difference between the brands. But now you look at somebody like the Ga- or, or Lululemon, you know, rolls past $6 billion and, you know, the organization is now predominantly folks from the gap. So, you know, where does the, where, where is this foreshadowing of where the gap or where Lululemon will be, you know, five years from 10 years from now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, will they continue to reinvent themselves? This was not a, uh, don't go sell the stock based on raw. No, it's not at all. Are you kidding? No, no, not dump, at all. Dump, dump, dump. No, shit, no, sell, no. Sell, I mean, sell. these are all these brands. I mean, everyone's trying to figure it out, right? You I mean, Nike went, you know, when I was with Nike, I came on into, to, to help operationalize and set up this Nike lab concept, which was a, a vehicle for telling stories, mm-hmm. amplifying the brand and collaborations and to amplify various categories of the business. And, you know, the, the, and it was, it, the idea was born in brand. It actually wasn't a product initiative. It was a brand initiative and they needed to operationalize it with a product efficacy to allow it to be commercially, you know, somewhat successful. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a result, yeah, we, we, knocked that out of the park, but by no surprise, because, you know, really it was, it was telling stories that consumers wanted to hear. It was developing a, you know, further entrenching Nike in the culture of sneakers. And, and, you know, after that time, and that was the direct consumer business. And then Nike was a predominantly wholesale company. The pendulum swung. Nike moved away from wholesale, cut off all the retailers and started to create their own D2C business. And now the pendulum's coming back because they're realizing that, you know, it's tough, it's expensive, and there's a lot of factors. And so, you know, the, the, the commerce and the, the, you know, the, the numbers start to really affect big organization swings. Mm-hmm. And also the leadership, you know, the regimes change and, you know, new people come on board with new philosophies and, you know, that's why, you know, it always makes it exciting and the market's always moving. There's no, absolutely. there's no predictor, you know? I hear you. And I'm curious because, so you've seen it from both sides and we're going to spend a bit of time here is as a new brand, yeah, which you have, which we're yes. going to talk about, trying to understand how it's going to tell its story when it doesn't have the resource problem, the over-resourced mm-hmm. problem that a Nike or a Gap would have where sure. it becomes all about the numbers. They sure. have no numbers. <laughs> and they're trying to build into this authentic story that's going to come through. We'll get to how a brand, a big brand does it later. But like, let's start there because you, you, you keep saying, and I totally agree, the story and the emotional connection to the story is critically important for a consumer product brand to connect with the consumer, not just the widget, whatever it is that it's 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 building. Sure. Right? 
and I'm going to tangent a little to the side and, and whatever, when you read someone like Chip Wilson's book, Founder Lou Lemon, you realize, well, that story may not have really been there day one. It may have been there in his head, but if you went to the first store on West 4th, Vancouver, it wasn't that that yoga, lifestyle, wellness thing didn't wasn't, exist. didn't exist. So <laughs> how do you, I'm new entrepreneur, Rob, help me, like, I, I have this brand, how do I tell my story? Where do you start somebody? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, it's a good question. I think, you know, the first place is you start with the consumer, start with the, with the, the customer. And, and that truly, you know, again, why brands like Lululemon were able to create a brand that truly was bigger than the product itself. Mm-hmm. And it started with a why with the customer Mm -hmm. and that why, and once you fulfilled that why and you became, you know, had a visceral connection that you could pretty much do anything. Lou Lemon could have put motor oil out and sold it (laughs) literally. I mean, you know, that's literally what they're doing by putting, you know, nylon product out in the market on Mm -hmm. on spandex. Right. You know, so, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm allowed to say. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Ah, Triple bottom line, (laughs) triple bottom line. There you go. This just a quick, quick thing is like that. I've started to see recently brands start to kind of admit that there's no environmentally friendly clothing brands but they're trying to improve that industry. But yes. like anyone who yes. five years ago said, we're green, it's like, you're, you're definitely not <laughs> green, but here's the steps you're taking to improve X. Okay, I'm sorry, I, I derailed. No, I, I, we, we, we could go deep on that rabbit hole because <laughs> certainly as someone who's lived in the camp and, and I look at as being someone who is, you know, put a lot of product into landfills and you start to have these moments of, uh, of, um, you know, clarity and, and you start to have a little bit of remorse and you start to think about, you know, how do I do, you know, what's my legacy? How do I do better for the planet? How do I make a change in an industry that is so big and it's, mm-hmm. um, it's almost unstoppable and you do it through consumers mm-hmm. and consumers are the ones who make the change because they vote with their dollars and it comes back to, you know, what's the why. And if I were to start a brand, and I have started many brands, but, you know, starting a brand and I was giving some advice to, you know, budding entrepreneur, Joel, you know, <laughs> anchor it with a consumer, anchor it with a why, an emotional, you know, why. Um, and, and then, you know, work back from there, understand, you know, how you solve and, and, and create solutions for a consumer that they really don't even know they exist. And, you know, and maybe I'll be, use a bit of a shameless plug, but talk about the American boxer. Please. So, you know, there's an example. So men's skincare, you know, I've been a skincare user for since I was in high school and, you know, I took the ridicule, I took the, the comments and, you know, it just, you know, it was one of those things, but, you know, I grew up with, you know, know, with a heavy influence by a mother who, you know, gave me face lotion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, early days, very naive, putting this stuff on my face, um, you know, over the course of my life, you know, I have developed um, a pretty strong hand in skincare and handily so that I probably, you know, feel like more of authority than, you know, most women. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, certainly it's just from experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think about an audience and I think about my peer group and I think about, you know, men and how many men just don't even think about it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about the audience for skincare, and so Rob's yeah. glowing, by the way, right now. Oh, so I'm that, glowing. That American boxer is working. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. I'm gonna slide you five bucks under the table <laughs> for that one. No, it's uh, you know, it really comes down to you know, again, looking at the consumer, and so for the males out there, and and we talk a little bit about what's going on in society right now. You know, we move social media. Um, you know, we've gone into this Zoom culture. You know, mm-hmm. people are on screen all the time and self-esteem mm-hmm. is, is, is at an interesting place, you know, across, you know, men, women, um, and self-confidence. And so how do you, you know, thread this story together that you help build people's self-esteem, self-confidence by connecting great skin, how they look and feel to confidence and through skincare. And so, you know, that's where, you know, the American boxer put a circle around, you know, we called him, uh, you know, originally, you know, we called our guy Kyle mm-hmm. and, you know, Kyle was our, our male muse. And then we realized that it's a mindset and we're solving for a mindset. And certainly, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, Dave Goggins and, and certainly I've, I've lived in a lot of, you know, athletic camps and, playing hockey for, you know, 17 years of my life and rowing for Canada and doing all these different things. Um, I know what it means to dig in. And so the story around the American boxer came to be that, you know, skincare is, is an element, but it's not the primary story. The primary Mm -hmm. story is around supporting contenders and we are all contenders in life. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a, everybody has a struggle. Everybody has an adversity. Everybody has a choice. Mm -hmm. And the tough thing is to make that choice. And your choice is you can stop, stop what you're doing and find something easier. Or you can lean in and you can never quit mm-hmm. and you can keep driving forward. And that is the story that that's the thread that we're pulling with our consumers. That's the story that we're building in life. And we're building a culture and a community of contenders mm-hmm. who have this story to tell. And it's boxing is the metaphor that ties to the struggle mm-hmm. and it's the hero's journey. And we're all the hero in our journey. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we all have, we all are born, you know, some are born with a silver spoon, some are born with a, you know, a rusty spoon, some are born with a platinum spoon. We all have the same ability to define what our life is. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, we feel like we're doing our part by giving men an elevated chance to kind of build their confidence, which gives them the ability to make better decisions in their life and lean in. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, that's, that's where the brand's position. So back to your original question, what would I say? Put a circle around the consumer, mm-hmm. understand truly what that why is, what, what's the why that we're solving for? Yeah. Cause if you reverse engineer what you're saying, what you do <clears throat> as you make skincare, that is, all the things that your skincare is, but mm-hmm. what you are or are about, your why, your reason for being, is giving men confidence to show up in their worlds, to be the contender in their worlds, to to be the Rocky of their worlds, to, to borrow from boxing, and that if you're any brand uh, company owner listening to this. It's the why is more important than the what. The what still has to be good, what you 100%, do. 100%. You can't do it without that. But thinking about it, and, and you really painted a whole story, which is, you know, maybe some people can go that far, maybe they don't have to. But And you talked about the consumer, but so often 
when I heard you use skincare and so often our stories begin with ourselves, the ones that we want to translate mm -hmm. into brand, right? So I think that, you know, that's, that's what I'm hearing. And then if we take one step further, it's okay. So I actually have nailed that. I've nailed the, the emotional why sure. that we, that we believe in. It's not, it's not bullshit. Mm -hmm. And we've nailed the what we've built the product. Mm -hmm. built the skincare line. How do we then turn this into a category killer, as you might call it, mm -hmm. something that disrupts a, a category? And feel free to frame it in the success that you've had at Lulu sure. with the ABC pant just by context or not, doesn't matter. But yeah, 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 no, that's good. Good point. No, that's a really good point. Um, you know, category killer, probably not, you know, again, back in the day, it was loosely used by um, you know, merchandising teams and, and brands, um, we could probably find a better name for it now, but, uh, category kill is certainly, um, you know, it's a philosophy around where you go into a space and you displace everybody by creating such incredible depth and variety within that, that the, the, you dislodge everyone. And so I'll use the example of Lululemon. So, you know, with the ABC pant, ABC pant was by design. You know, mm -hmm. we had an existing pant in the men's lineup. And again, I inherited this men's business that I would say would be, you know, I called it the, the three-legged pant business because it was really, you know, not a very compelling offering at the point. I think when I took on the business, it was about $50 million in revenue, you know, for which in, in most companies, that'd be great. That's, you know, we've, we've surpassed all of our wildest expectations. Lululemon was doing $300 million a year in growth. So this little tiny anemic business really mm -hmm. didn't live up to the expectation. And we hadn't cracked it. We hadn't cracked it. the why. So two parts. The why wasn't there yet. The why wasn't established for the male. And so why, you know, why Lululemon? And so that's a whole other conversation. For men. For men, for men. For men, yeah. But being the architect of the men's business, that I went out with a vengeance to define what our why was. Once we defined our why... Now you could build out products that serviced his life. Mm -hmm. And so we had a pant called the Kahuna pant and it was hideous. It looked like a raver pant from the nineties and you know, this heavy <laughs> nylon fabric, shiny. I mean, God, be careful if you walk near a campfire cause you'd probably burst into flames. You know, like I, I would never wear it. Well, you couldn't pay me to wear it. And so, you know, I just looked at it and thought like, you know, our, our role, and again, you know, not dissimilar from the American boxer bringing confidence. Our role is to, give level up men's wardrobes. That was our role. That was what we were there to do. And so, you know, went out and looked at the staples of a male and, and, and men are very habitual, mm -hmm. you know, female are shoppers. Men at that point were, were qualified as buyers. Mm -hmm. I'd say the, the world's evolved and now there's more men, male consumers, you know, as, as shoppers. So buyers being someone who just buys what they need. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. I need razors. I'm going to go in and buy my Gillette Mach 3 razor. Yeah. And I'm going to keep buying that razor until yeah. I die. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it's that it's like, I like old spice. I'm going to go in and buy my old spice deodorant, you know, and I'm going to keep buying it until I die. I might veer off. Veer off. So again, mm -hmm. we'll come back to old spice in a second. Cause that's a good example, you know, pants, bottoms. And so we had to address the male consumer and there was a habitual nature to the male consumer. And there was a key short and there was a key uh, pant and there's a couple of variations, but the reality is that there's key staples that the, that the male is going to come back to. And so ABC pant was by design looking, I went to a Japanese vendor, developed a fabric 
that was uh, from the cycling industry previously, in my previous career, um, you know, brought in uh, a Comme de Garçon and gabardine fabric and said, listen, I need to create a pant, fold all yarns. This is the, this is, these are the, this is what the optic needs to be. These are the attributes of the pants needs to be wrinkle free and mm-hmm. easy to wear. And it's going to be in a five pocket Chino. We're going to take a hybrid variation from a denim to a Chino and make it very easy to wear. And so play it forward. That's a, that's a, a million plus million and a half unit year, a pant. That's probably $300 million business for yeah. the lemon. And that was, I mean, for context, the time of which that pant developed technical fabric for men's pants was non-existent outside of the sporting. Room. Correct. Right. You're right. So that was, you were, you were truly looking at the white space in a category. Yep. The white space being there's an existing thing. How do we move this out of, Correct. you know, and every guy has to have it. And I like when you talk about these key pieces, because this is like anything, whether whether you're designing tools, and it's like, what are the tools that he or she needs in her toolkit? What are the staples of this person's wardrobe, this person's drawer, and how do I begin to own, in terms of be the person that that, the brand that that customer buys from, own those pieces in that drawer and thinking about it that way. Right, so back to the question around category killer. Yeah. And the point of the category killer was depth and variety. So you take a silhouette that addresses his needs. So you call it an archetype. You know, mm-hmm. So it's a silhouette, you know, it's a straight leg, it's a slim cut, you know, whatever. You know, his. Now I'm gonna create variations of that exact pant Every month, every quarter, I'm bringing out newness and color, print, mm-hmm. pattern, textures, elements that represent newness for him. And now you've started to build out this, this, you're holding space to disrupt a category because now you're giving him a reason to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. And now you're creating a category killer approach. Same way J. Crew. When J. Crew had a big run back in the early 2000s, you know, Mickey Drexler, and Mickey Drexler is the, you know, the, the merchant prince who really coined category killer. Mm-hmm. And it was about, you know, Oxfords, you know, re, reigniting the Oxford shirt, which Ralph Lauren made you know, popularized in Tommy Hilfinger back in the eighties and and, in the early nineties. And so, you know, came out with not just a white and blue and, you know, pinstripe Oxford came out with a million variations of that Oxford and color variations. Mm -hmm. And, and it's the same silhouette. So is that counterintuitive to how somebody might think of it? Let's go to underwear for a second. And let's, let's say that I make underwear and I'm, I'm owning it. Yeah. I own this box of brief and I'm yeah. crushing it. Next thing I design is a t-shirt or a lounge pants. It's like, well, he already owns the underwear and now I need to get a top on him versus no, go deeper and wider in the underwear, more color, more print in that same underwear is the, is the approach to becoming a category killer it is not to go immediately wider in your skew offering. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And so what you're essentially doing is you're creating franchises Mm -hmm. that can be modular blocks to building a business. Mm -hmm. So play it forward, you know, you know, your underwear business, play it forward five years. um, And now you have a underwear business. That's a standalone entity. You've now migrated into tees and you've taken attributes from your underwear, brought it into tees mm-hmm. and intimates, and maybe there's a package of products and now you've taken the same approach and that's a standalone business. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, you've moved it over into, you know, mid layers and you've gone into a fleece category and you're bridging on athleisure and you're starting to evolve the business, but you're still bringing 
the DNA of the product line mm -hmm. as you move through, and now you're taking that same approach and say so you've created a category killer in mid layers. Mm -hmm. And you could literally plug and play that business into any retail environment, and it's a standalone business. Mm -hmm. I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying, and it's important to to block and tackle it that way from uh, being conscious, con con cautious, but also being aware of what capital you have to deploy into 100%. this business to begin with, right? Yep. And to test the waters, because you know, I, I remember as a spectator. In, in the consumer slash business realm, hearing about the can Lululemon break into men's, that's a women's right. brand, can Lulu, yeah. random people talking about this, yeah. right? And so cautiously treading and this while you're th into this, while you're threading the needle of the brand of men's into the brand of women's and now nobody blinks an eye. It's not a women's brand ever, but a lot of brands stumble. Badly <laughs> on that on that path, right? And how much of that is they just didn't read the room, they didn't read the customer, and they just, the customer just never would have wanted it to begin with. Versus they just didn't block and tackle it one category product at a time while ensuring that 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 story was translating. You know? Well, that goes back to our conversation on what's your why, yeah, and what's your why for the consumer. And so you think about it from that perspective, what do you stand for? Mm -hmm. What's your stand? You know, flip it, you know, what's your stand? And so, you know, what is, when, when you ask a consumer, you know, what does Joel's, you know, underwear business mean? You, they better know. They better know, yeah. right? I mean, it's the same thing, they better know. They, they, they better know what it means. You know, when they ask, well, what's the American boxer about? You know, they better know, mm -hmm. Lululemon, you know? Oh, you've painted, you've painted the American boxer beautifully through you know, I've seen it. I have seen brands, you know, use Saks underwear for an example. Sure. I feel like they were such a product feature brand 100%. that although they played on this idea like your balls need a break from your leg every once in a while, I didn't, you know, the whimsical every guyness of the brand. I didn't translate it as strongly as I translated the Lululemon lifestyle right. or the Nike now lifestyle and then just do it you know the, and this whole idea of like the best just yeah. doing it but uh, you know i'm i'm fascinated by a few things that i want to i want to dive into but i think that listeners would be really interested to know because it's one thing to say hey i'm i'm here and i've got this idea and it's another thing for that to actually happen and maybe you can paint a picture to you know you you you, you beam down into Red Bull. You beam down into Nike. Yeah. You're this Vancouver hotshot Lulu X, you know, exec. And, and you're, these are big, structured, ingrained, uh, culturally ingrained organizations. Mm -hmm. How do you step into that and begin to bring whatever ideas you have into this, into this mixture tactfully and, and then execute them. Yeah. That's a, um, it's not, it's not a simple answer. I bet. <laughs> no, it's not a simple answer because really what, you know, when you beam down into these different organizations, you know, your role is to develop a, a, a culture 
that takes the business forward, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about bringing in, you know, you don't show up with a little magic hat and you're going to pull out some, you know, some fairy dust and some mm-hmm. special ideas and it's going to solve all the problems. You need to, you're beaming down and, and really disseminating the culture and then breaking it down and rebuilding it to think differently. And so that you create a culture that becomes disruptive and how they think and they start to think around corners and think out of the box and always challenging the norm or the convention to create something exceptional mm-hmm. and always looking forward. And that's not always easy because it's gaining as we talked about, you know, some people are builders and some people are harvesters. So mm-hmm. there's a huge cultural component to, you know, designing an organization to, to pick up the bricks and move it forward. It's scary to, to be that person. I know firsthand failing miserably at this where I've, you know, come into a bigger organization and one of two things will happen. Either they're really good at listening to the, the they brought you in for a reason. They're paying right. you some, some money for, for yeah. a reason. And you think that reason is to implement the things that you do, but no, it's just to hear you. <laughs> and they do nothing. And it's incredibly frustrating. We both know one of those organizations. We both work for one of those organizations. Sure. And maybe you can touch on in that scenario how might you 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 approach it versus the exact opposite of it. They don't even listen. They're they're borderline hostile towards even maybe they're harvesters or they're yeah, they're just protecting their their stable ecosystem that they've created for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've literally seen these types of individuals intercept your you know, your idea and then they they, they go behind your back and they, they shoot it down and they yep. go behind your back another way and they shoot it down. They're, it's almost like their mission is to not let things be changed and hurt. Like and, and I imagine between Nike and Red Bull and Gap Lululemon, you've seen oh, yeah. most of <laughs> yeah. these things, right? And, oh, and, yeah. and these are things that people who aren't entrepreneurs, but they, they really want to be that within an organization, struggle with. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've got the scars on my back. <laughs> and I've, a few arrows or maybe- A few maybe, gunshots. And yeah, <laughs> I've, got, I've got them all. I mean, certainly I've been, you know, gained with- you know, I, I call it the Canadian side, you know, being, being so nice, um, you know, coming to these organizations bright eyed with earnest intentions and, and being the, um, you know, kind of you know, taking a few, you know, getting hit on the few blind spots. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, if, if I look back and again, you know, one of these moments of, and this is great, Joel, you're giving me a point, point of reflection because I rarely get this. And we talked about that. Um, Podcasts are very cathartic. Yeah, this, this is like therapy. This is great. You know, I think, you know, the piece I look at and say, you know, you're right. Your, your, your role, and it's not, you know, it doesn't matter what the title is. It really isn't. You're a change agent. Mm-hmm. Your role is a change agent. And you, you know, and, and probably, you know, if, if I wish someone had given me this advice, but the sage advice I would have liked to receive 20 years ago is that when you come into an organization, you know, be quiet, mm-hmm. listen, listen, you know, identify, and then start to understand, you know, there's always going to be folks who, you know, aren't going to want to change. Mm-hmm. You know that. And, and, you know, there's isolates within the group and, and, and how do you, how do you deploy tools to help create a culture and create that alignment? Because, you know, really what it comes down to is that vision, you know, and my leadership style is certainly anchored around, you know, pull the future forward. 
and then let's, you know, build the steps to get there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can have, you know, the best intentions and have a very defined, you know, North star for everyone, which is an aligned North star that you've rallied around and brought people on a journey. And so everyone's on the same page. So you think, <laughs> and then one day all of a sudden you get hit by a bus mm -hmm. and that's reality. I mean, that's the, there, there's always, because there's a lot of, and again, you know, it's fear, it's insecurities, it's things that, you know, folks change, mm -hmm. you know, there, there is, you know, the most powerful or the, the highest motivation in organizational, you know, organizations is certainty. And when certainty is threatened, it pulls, it's a trigger mm -hmm. of emotions. And as an entrepreneur and as someone who's always living in the gray and leaning into the wind, sometimes the red and sometimes the red, <laughs> you, you take it, you take it for granted mm -hmm. that that's not comfortable for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And when people get uncomfortable, it pulls on emotions and things that, you know, aren't necessarily, it become destructive behavior mm -hmm. and it can undermine the fabric of the culture that you're building. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, you know, as someone coming into a new teleporting into a new organization, I would say, you know, take the time, you know, in your hundred day plan, like, you know, take the time to understand who's truly on board and who isn't. Are you saying and your hundred day plan as in you should come into any new job with your own kind of, this is what I hope my hundred days looks like or the company's hundred day plan? Your hundred day plan. Okay. As you start your journey. Interesting. And so you start to really identify, you know, again, it's one thing you go through the ropes of defining, you know, the North star and, and you go through your steps of, you know, forming, you know, teams and, and, you know, understanding the culture and, and, and all the things they're going to be up against and operationalizing the vision. Don't be too quick on that. Mm -hmm. Take your time to really understand because people are I mean, truly what it comes down to is it's, it's all about the people. Mm-hmm. You know, the it of, you know, this Nalgene water bottle or, you know, an ABC pan, you know, those are the byproducts of incredible cultures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, 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 you create a hit machine, you know, and like in the music industry with all the, you know, the, the bands back, you know, they talk about some of these producers that be create like Bob Rock. I mean, hit machines that mm -hmm. have really been able to, you know, create a series of successes. And so you using that, knowing that you have to go in and, and identify, you know, who's truly on board and who's not. And if they're not, how to work with that, either within the organization or moving them out of the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's where it comes back to choice. And it's a hard decision sometimes. And, and, you know, you can have people who have got incredible amounts of tribal knowledge, but no matter what you do, mm -hmm. they are going to sabotage success. Yeah, this is this is really interesting relating to what's happening at Twitter right now. Yeah. Like him or hate him, you know, Elon is is giving you a university education on on you're either on the bus or you're off the bus because he's going into a hostile organization. That is not only hostile because of the change that he's bringing in but because uh, to the literal organization, but because he's implementing his what he believes to be the the free speech platform in a in an otherwise culture that was shifting towards cancellation right and so he would you know he's got multiple headwinds and he's making very hard decisions very quickly that look like in some ways they look overly aggressive but when you when you just when you actually take a moment they're 
they're the only decisions that can possibly be made in the environment in which he's doing. And we all just hum and haw, and I don't want to, you know, kick this person off the bus. It's like he's saying, get back to work here at the office because I can't have you at this moment in time in our company's history zooming and slacking and not slacking off, slacking the platform and, and whatever. He, he just he just knew all the markers and it's not going to be easy for him. No, but that's what I'm hearing from you is just is is you have to you have to go in and, and action these things. And that's the I'll go back to not be wanted. Not everyone can be an entrepreneur. Those are the sucky parts about being, it's, you know, it is <laughs> it is the least sexy part of being yeah, an entrepreneur. Sucky. I should have said that. that that's <laughs> sucky, sucky fucking word. Um, least sexy. Yeah, I. I'm reminded of, of, have you watched The Bear? The Bear. The Bear. Jeremy Allen White, who was in Shameless. You watch Shameless? No. Okay, so it, either way, he's like an up-and-coming young actor. And he, he plays this uh, very, very high-end chef whose brother dies mm-hmm. and leaves him his Chicago... It's not a fast food restaurant, but it's kind of a, um, you know, well, I'd call it that, like a sandwich kind of sub, you know, just something very different than this guy's world. And and so for whatever reasons in the main character's personal life, he decides to give up all that and, and run this thing. And so he's trying to step into the existing culture of this kitchen, which you, you know, you're a chef, you know kitchens have their very real dynamics. Right? Oh yeah. And so he's, he's, he's trying to navigate this and there's the hazing process and they're hiding his knives. But what, what caught me when you were talking was that n- not only what he's having to navigate and watching how he does and how he leads by example and how he knows what he's trying to accomplish, but this young girl comes in and she's also of pedigree, but not at his, she's a college right. She's worked at really fancy restaurants, but she's still like just left being a student or something. And so how she throws herself into this organization, comes up with this big plan book, hands him the book, here's all the things we should do for change. And, and how he sees, well, we can't do all these things for a million reasons, but her tenacity to, well, I'm just going to do them for us. Right. I don't care what you pay me because I want to do this. And then he, at one scene, he kind of defaults to going back to what's called the brigade. I think it's the brigade structure inside a kitchen. And she's really upset with him because she's like, we have to think differently. Right. I don't even know where I'm going from that or where I pulled that from, from what you were saying, but it's just, it's all in the first three episodes because that's all I've seen where it's just like, it's classic what you're describing of beaming into an organization yeah. or even a yeah. startup yeah. and having to really thicken your skin, yeah. having to check your ego at the door and know what your mission is and know what you're willing to give in order to see that mission succeed. Cause it's not going to be easy. There's going to be the rat traps. Sorry, um, if I derailed you and went. No, that's a good. I mean, honestly, that's a, that's a great analogy. I mean, it's very analogous to you know, and again, you know, whether it's an apparel company, skincare company, or kitchen, it's the same. You know, again, if somebody's not willing to think differently and challenge the norm to find a better solution, 
there's the challenge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as a thought leader coming in, you have to be able to identify those, those pain points and then be very decisive, mm -hmm. you know, quickly, you know, and, and sometimes you're going to make decisions that, you know, you might regret making a decision is the most important thing you can mm -hmm. do. And being extremely decisive, so you look at some of you know the leaders in this world who, you know, have, you know Jim Collins, you know, and his good to great, mm -hmm. you know, becoming a level five transformational leader, mm -hmm. and being extremely decisive, and that doesn't mean coming in with a an iron hand. That that Machiavellian leadership style is command and conquer is not the way. It's certainly coming in with an openness to understand, but there are always people who are going to be you know, mm -hmm. fighting at the fabric of the culture you're trying to establish. And so, um, and, and, you know, trying to establish, but you're trying to create the culture with, you know, the participants in that. And, you know, you have to make decisions. Is good to great the one with the flywheel or is the flywheel his other book? Flywheel, I believe, is the second is book. Is the second book. I mean, these... I mean, it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's been a while. It's been a... You no, know. I mean, they're... He, he's not like, considered... The Guru, those two books are without question two of the single greatest business books ever written. 100%. And yeah. they really, you know, th this idea of, you know, there's a, there's a story in there that's shared. I think it's this, the former CEO of Kimberly Clark. And he was sort of an introverted, mm -hmm. effectual leader. In fact, I think that they determined that every one of the 15 or whatever it was, great leaders were introverts. They were not... The boy, the boisterous, yeah, always made headlines, but generally made very bad decisions. But his his strategy, the guy from Kimberly Clark, was just one on ones. Yeah, not these team meetings. Just not trying to win people over in the sense of versus what this other person was saying mm -hmm. or dividing. It was just that constant little bits of attention to help people understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish, because. You know, you've been here, I've been here, you're busy as fuck. And then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you're like, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then you're busy as fuck. So you leave and they're like, well, I don't know why we're doing this. And then they get yeah. in their heads and then they talk to their colleague and the thing starts to derail. But when you take, if you can, that little moment to check back in after you've done the thing and then you can hover back down to everyone and just say, hey, here's why I'm doing this yep. it just helps people feel heard it helps people clear their minds you know does it always work i mean no that's why some people have to get off the bus that's right <laughs> right well you know really a simple way of putting it is it's a player coach you know mm -hmm. there's there's mm -hmm. and when you look at the organizations and you look at the spectrum you know from you know uh, that jim collins wrote about leadership styles and and so from positional power and a lot of folks who parachute into different roles come in, you know, the senior title and, you know, it's this positional power, positional power versus actually truly what you are is, is you're an influencer mm -hmm. and your role is to influence and elevate an organization and hold space for them to become great. Mm -hmm. And that's when organizations get the byproduct of great people, great organizations, mm -hmm. great teams. And you're taking a functional work group and transitioning them through the process of developing a high-performing team. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard work. And so that's where the player-coach side of it, and you know, going into an organization where you can actually create an organization of thought leaders mm -hmm. that can have constructive debate, who can challenge without mm -hmm. being destructive, mm -hmm. and hold space for relationship, and move organizations forward, and truly disrupt and transcend categories and become global 
brands or global businesses. And, and so, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Introverted. I mean, high emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. really important. It's a critical part of the mix, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and, and we've all experienced it and certainly, you know, in, in past times, probably more, you know, these, you know, dictator style leaderships that would come in and with an iron, iron hand and, you know, company wide, you know, meetings and, it, you know, certainly things have evolved. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, yeah, I'm curious to like what your thoughts are because you've seen a lot of, well, not a lot, but you see Schultz, Howard Schultz come back time and again yep. to Starbucks. And you see just recently, I mean, he's the founder, CEO, but the heck's the guys from Disney, Bob, um, is it Bob? The CEO of the, just had an incredible run at Disney. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He um, just had his, his book come out, he retired and then, uh, it doesn't matter. I don't uh, check him. Sorry? Bob Iger. Bob Iger, there we there go. You. Thank you, thank you, Jamie. That was a joke, it's Marshall, but that was the <laughs> Joe Rogan joke. <laughs> um, the uh, So Bob Iger is back, you know, and there was mm-hmm. some talk around him coming back because Disney got a little out of hand on the wokeness mm-hmm. and they needed to kind of pull it back. But point being is like, so those are big personality CEOs. Yeah. You know, you and I in a 50-person, 100-person organization, 50-person for sure, we can still have those one-on-ones with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But those are those are organizations that obviously already have the person underneath that's handling the one-on-ones from the top, right? There's right. not I don't want to call them middle managers, but like there's that there's those pieces, but yet when you get rid of the top, it's the thing should still go on its own because it's not like they're micromanaging their team, but yet they sometimes go off the rails a little. Go off mm-hmm. the rails a little and the the same CEO. What's going on there? What's your view of what's going on there? I think it's clarity on the vision yeah. and the mission, you know, and that comes down to the the leader and it hasn't cascaded down through the organization and it hasn't been, possibly it hasn't been embraced and it's lacked alignment. So it hasn't been a bottoms up build in the organization. It's been a top down and it's cascaded down, but it's, 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 it, it hasn't hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be my assumption because I think, you know, human nature, I mean, when, when it's clear on what your guardrails are and it's clear on, you know, where you're going, you know, human nature is that you want to keep going forward. You know, I don't think human nature is I want to drive off the road. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to stay within the lines and not because it's control. It's that that's the quickest way to move forward. And that's, that's, you know, how you realize. And when, organizations and, and indiv- groups and teams and individuals start to feel that that success and where the value is created by having a really clarity on where I'm going, that is infectious. Mm-hmm. And then a culture becomes unstoppable. And so probably, you know, bringing in some of these charismatic leaders and, and ironically, some of these leaders, they come across being charismatic, but they can still be introverts. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's I'm true. an introvert. Yeah with a learned extroversion because that's what, that's what the world, unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. And so you have to learn this, this, have this discipline and, and, and learn this skill of being, so you having this, these leaders come in, but they still understand how to take that vision and deploy it and ensure that it gets cascaded through the organization and then hold people accountable to, to realize that. So the reason I was just pulling out my phone, I was trying to look for which of the crypto companies this was. Because we're in, you know, we've alluded to it, we're in interesting times. Mm -hmm. And the expectation of vision changes. And so 
I don't know why I can't think. It was not Crypto.com, but it was... No, it wasn't Pantex. It was... Um, they were like... A, it's an app you can buy your crypto on it. and crypt, It's a crypto wallet of some kind. Okay. It's not MetaMask either. I can't remember which one it was. So he he was talking about... He, you know, they become massive company on the yeah. rise of crypto and create lots of millionaires inside their IPO. Like they think they created like a thousand millionaires from employees, you know, wow. becoming, you know, amazing. And then they run into the cancel culture. This happened around Black Lives Matter. Right. And the the George Floyd stuff happens. And his team at their weekly town hall that they would have says, you need to take a stand. You need to publicly come out in support of Black Lives Matter and George Floyd. And he was quite apprehensive at first because he didn't know anything about it. Not that he was apprehensive against Black Lives Matter, but he hadn't had time to digest. And I'm referring to Black Lives Matter, the organization, right. not Black People's Lives Matter. Right. And, you know, so his natural inclination would be to be far more detailed in how he assessed whether he was going to. But there was a ton of pressure and, and his whole team I keep saying these definitive. Many people on his team where you have to do this. This is, this is a, the most important yep. cultural moment of our history. And sure enough, he comes out. And then following that, there, you know, he, he becomes a little more aware of what the Black Lives Matter organization is about. And he right. decides for himself it's not something that their company is about. He's like, we are a crypto company focused on creating a currency that people can use outside of the American dollar and this and this and this. This is what right. we are. So he communicates this with a blog to his team. It's met with incredible backlash, <laughs> as everything was. Sure. He's not saying in any way. He's going to get canceled. Right? Well, <laughs> New York Times tried to cancel him. Yeah. You know, and, it's and so did New York everyone. Times is terrible. Oh, they're the worst right now. But and, and he now looks at it as a badge of armor. He's like, you're not a made it entrepreneur until you until like the New York Times is on a hit piece on you. But he stuck to his guns and he offered I think it was like well, he offered anyone who wanted to leave a very nice severance package. Sure. Very generous. Nothing anyone could be upset with. And I think in the end he ended up losing ten percent of his employees. Could have been more could be no idea, right? Because you kind of have a sense of it point being was that they didn't have a defined culture of philanthropy or any of those things, but right. we're in and have been, and we might be transitioning out, the moment of, well, every social issue is an issue of every company in the world. So, so how do you think about that when you think about storytelling, you think about this moment in time, you think about entrepreneurs? I'll just, sorry, just one, like we went through it with one of my companies called Cosan, where we got on board with a lot of these things. And we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of very angry emails from our customers who were in no way agreeing with what was happening and were upset that we had taken a stance. Oh, interesting. You know, because things were like, you know, uh, defund the police and then well, right. there were police officers <laughs> men and wives of police officers yeah. uh, sorry women and women police officers husband and wives they didn't like that and yeah. and so you know I learned a lesson as, as to 
you yeah you go the Patagonia route and it's like or you say like where they're they're not afraid to offend a Trump supporter. No. In, when he there was the whole national parks thing going on and and Seth Godin always says you can't be afraid to offend somebody. Yeah. In order to like entrench with who you are, but I think we're at another level of that. And so I probably took that too far, but I want to hand it back to you and just like wh- where do you, where do you see approaching this and these these sort of all these hot button issues that everyone thinks everyone should get involved in but you're just trying to be myopic on your brand and story sure like yeah i i mean again this it's almost it's symptomatic of where we started the conversation today on social media and you know i used the example of you know obviously working at red bull during you know, COVID, but also through the Black Lives Matters. And you it's an Austrian company. Mm-hmm. So Red Bull is, you know, privately held. Founder just passed away recently. Uh, Austrian company. And Red Bull leadership in, in uh, Austria took a position that we are not going to play into Black Lives Matter, or at least support it. And so it was a huge controversy internally. Huge, huge. And it was interesting because, you know, I, as someone, as a Canadian, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of, I don't know, I feel like, you know, we're, we're, we're very neutral, you know, very objective, but neutral. And, and maybe I'm just, you know, used to be, used to be, that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let, used to be, I'm, I am very objective and, and neutral. So it was interesting to see, um, this, this cultural backlash that was happening internally to the point of where, you know, the president of the company was terminated. Hmm. Really, and she was an 18-year, you know, force for Red Bull that built a five billion-dollar business, you know, six billion-dollar business in the U.S. And the CEO of, of Red Bull North America resigned as a result of her de- departure. And then in a, in a huge part of the leadership, you know, exited as well. And it's because you know they they took a stand against the company for this movement of Black Lives Matters. And so, you know, play it forward, you know, three years and, you know, all the controversy and the scandal and everything else has come out of it, which I'm sure, you know, it, it, it would change people's perception and, and, you know, the position they took, but that's all gone now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people in, have used, you know, platforms, social media and in various platforms to kind of echo and have that position and cancel out people. But, we're on to new people now. And so this whole cancel culture, I know we're kind of jumping around a bit, but the cancel culture, it's, I, I, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's difficult because again, how do you, how do you create an accountability? You know, today you get canceled tomorrow, you know, it's new news, mm-hmm. you know, and, and on a whim people are making, you know, decisions that truly impact people's lives, companies existence, you know, you know, and, and without any, any real recourse or any real accountability into that decision, mm-hmm. just a moment. And so, you know, I, I hear this all the time from young people who I work with and collaborators and like, Oh, you shouldn't say that or do that. You're going to get canceled. And I'm like, ah, I'm kind of a little bit unapologetic. It's like, yeah. you know, like you got to take a stand, mm-hmm. you know, this, I, I do think there is going to, you know, we're living in this woke time, but you know, honestly, so many people and I deal with so many global brands and global, you know, groups. And there is a movement right now that is, you know, coming back against this woke culture that's really prevailing. And these are, these are global brands and these are global agencies that support some of the biggest brands in the world. And they are very anti-woke. Well, it's a tad ridiculous that taking a stand is simply 
we're not engaging in that conversation because it's not our business to engage in that conversation, right? right? It's like, and then all of a sudden everyone's outraged. Yeah. It's like, when did a, when did Lululemon need to become hypothetically a social justice warrior? Right. Right. Yeah. There Sell you go. stretchy pants. Mm-hmm. And that, and I think that puts a lot of people in a hard position. I mean, it's not that when we did that thing with one of my companies, I wasn't against anything other than I just didn't feel right making a move right yet and it turned out that that was correct because it pissed off tons of our customers mm-hmm. and divided me and my partners on you know the topic mm-hmm. and again i just was saying i well what we make travel clothing and our message is about travel not this that or the other right and yet you know a lot of founders are forced with having to do that and it's not I mean, you're, you're probably right. I think that it's a year away from being the pendulum will have swung back to the middle and there'll be some equilibrium for a time. Yep. And then human nature will be human nature and the pendulum will swing one way and the other. And, you know, you just, I guess being a change agent, this was one of the words you use, is that's, that's kind of the role of being a leader now is it's not just external change. You're having to navigate the world <laughs> at the same time. You know, I think climate change was probably the one that, or me too, were like the ones that were, for, for sure, climate change. Like everyone, a lot of companies, especially in consumer, like, yeah, we need to take a green stance. Yeah. And that was great. Yeah. And then that was like, no, now you have to take a stance in all of them, not just, you know, we're going to try and be green, but... It's, yeah, it's tough out there. And, and, you know, maybe this is a terrible segue, but we're going to do it anyway. If we're talking about change and talking about stepping into things that we're not comfortable of or with. And, you know, you, so you go back to school late in your adult life. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's where I'm going to connect this to. So you make this change. I think you're 28 when you go back to school to complete your marketing degree. That's, a lot of people would be like, wow, I'm way behind if I'm doing that at 28. But yeah, oh, you yeah. build this amazing career on the back end of it. And now today, after the pandemic shut down Red Bull's clothing division because they couldn't launch it into that environment, you were a free agent and could have gone to any major company in the world in apparel, but you chose to start your own business. Right. So what is your mindset that leads to being able to say, no, I'm going back to school at 28 or no, nope, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just stepping aside from the big, big, big contracts and I'm going after my dream of starting American Boxer. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Yeah, big decisions. <laughs> decisions are hard. Once you make them, it's a lot easier. Right? <laughs> you know, that, uh, that's really what it comes down to. You know, it's, it's, and and this is a terrible analogy and I apologize, you know, but I'm going to use it anyways. You know, I, I used the matrix when Neo started to believe, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like, you know, and I know and it's terrible. I shouldn't even be saying it, but it really, it becomes one of those points of when, you know, you, you've hit this interesting inflection point of capability, experience, knowledge, wisdom, whatever you want to call it and confidence. Mm -hmm. And they divide and they, they, they cross the line. And now you're at a place where, you know, you've got a network, you've got the ability, you can, you can see it and you can, 
you can do it. Mm-hmm. And it's really when you believe in yourself and that you can do it. And, you know, it, 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 sure, working in the corporate environment, you know, getting a great salary, having an expense account, traveling the world, living this lavish life, that's great. But, you know, it, it, is, is that the legacy you want to leave behind? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was always, you know, again, again, long before, you know, David Goggins wrote his books, you know, I had my father, Jim Blair, who was the hardest nut ever. <laughs> and, you know, as a young guy, you know, playing hockey and, you know, doing all sorts of sports, you know, he always, you know, always never quit mm-hmm. drive. Like that was the thing you, you don't quit, you know quitters aren't part of our family, you know, and, the, and, and probably, you know, some ways I'd say is a bit of a detriment. So we could have a whole conversation around youth and leadership and what that, how that can truly impact, you know, people's lives and the trajectory and, you know, mm-hmm. but the, the, the piece of the equation was always about, you can dig in. And so, you know, my dad always just tell me, you know, you, you, there's going to be people out there who are going to be more talented than you. They're going to be stronger than you. They're going to be you know, smarter than you, but you can always outwork them. And so the common denominator was always persistence, perseverance, mm-hmm. and always lean in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, you hit this point in your life when all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, I, like my legacy, this is what my legacy is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a change agent in life and give men a fighting chance, give their skin a fighting chance, give them a, a, a chance to, 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 to have confidence. And even if it's a small part of the overall mix, certainly we know, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into building self-esteem and confidence. But if I can have that small part, that small, you know, fingerprint on helping give, be an enabler and helping, um, you know, men, uh, elevate and have success in their life, mm-hmm. then I've, you know, achieved, you know, you know, I can, again, the world of Nikes and Reebok and Adidas and, you know, whatever brands, you know, the gaps, they're all going to be there, you know, and, and, you know, and maybe in some way that, uh, you know, part of this, this end game is that, you know, we'll redefine, you know, what it means, you know, be a role model for men and, you know, truly lead men into a new space. And, you know, we say men's, but it's certainly, you know, part of our mantra of the American boxer is we first. So it's, you know, it, it's non-prescriptive, you know, it's, you know, male, female, you know, no matter what race you are, you know, it, it's a rally cry, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're creating a space, but, you know, we know that there is an audience and, and men who have been underserved and they deserve better. And so, you know, that's part of what we're doing. Do you, um, because you mentioned those brands will always be there when you step into the new energy of a, of a startup, mm-hmm. do you try and not think about the parachute of those other jobs will always be there in terms of creating a completely all in mm-hmm. mentality. That's a great question. My business partner, I had this conversation not too long ago and we both talked about, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, he was asked the question when he came to, you know, from Austria to the U S and, you know, pumping iron and yeah. he got into the movie business. And certainly, you know, he's very, you know, he was a good entrepreneur, but there was never a plan B, mm-hmm. you know, and until you really you know, decide you're going to throw away that green pill or I don't, I, I can't remember the matrix, red or the green, blue, whatever. Matrix is life. Right. Yeah. But when <laughs> but, you realize that, you know, there is no plan B, there's a plan A, mm-hmm. you're all in. Mm-hmm. Now you need to lean in mm-hmm. every day. 
And no matter how hard it gets, and it gets hard, mm-hmm. you know, you lean in and keep leaning in and keep leaning in and opportunity will come, mm-hmm. you know, face adversity, turn it into fuel, you know, and turn it into opportunity and doors will open, relationships will open, networks will open, things will happen. And, you know, and I, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, not necessarily a subscriber, you know, the universe and put it out to the universe, but I do believe that we create our destiny mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, you know, some people's paths might be a little bit easier and, and, and certainly, you know, you know, might be, you know, have a little bit more, um, opportunity, you know, presented in a way because of, you know, families and money and other things, but, um, we all have the same opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Hard work works. Hard work works. I heard that one the other day. <laughs> 100%, baby. That's what it's all about. Especially when most people are lazy. It's a common denominator. You, yeah. take a, t- you take a look at every successful entrepreneur. It doesn't matter whether they're famous or whether they're you know not famous, whether they're an actor or not. What's the common denominator? Mm-hmm. Hard work. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets, nobody gets you, know, you know, greatness in their life. And whatever that greatness is. You know, whether it's currency, whether it's happiness, love, you don't get it without hard work. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to even like our own personal lives, you know, relationships, you know, relationships require work. Mm-hmm. Raising children requires work. Mm-hmm. These are all things and you get what you put into it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Mm-hmm. I know. And we're, we're always showing it. So, you know, the final product, you know, the 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 relationship working after counseling yeah until it doesn't work again like you know what i mean like it's non-stop there's no it's fluid yeah it's fluid there's no there there and you just have to keep well if you're talking grind goggins it's you got to keep grinding you know got to keep grinding or you just got to keep showing up and maybe you don't have that same mindset as him but your mindset is just you know i'm going to create my own destiny to your point by constantly showing up to the moment that I asked to show up to, whether that's a conversation with my wife, a meltdown with my child, a a curve in the road with my business, I'm going to show up. And the difference between the people who make it work and don't is the ones who just keep doing that. But, you know, I'm going to add to that because I think this is a really interesting point. And, you know, David Goggins doesn't doesn't necessarily – um, call it out in some of his, his, his books. Um, but certainly something I think about is gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be a grinder and some people will say, you know, you're a bit of a martyr, you know, you're going to grind it out every day. Um, but I used to be, you know, you know, a a 7am on the road, you know, going pound out, you know, 10 kilometers, 10 miles, um, you know, probably three times a week. If I wasn't doing that, I'd be doing backpack training, you know, with my walking poles and 70 pounds in my backpack and doing about 5K, you know. In the west, in the hills of... Santa Monica. (laughs) Santa Monica, actually, yeah, I know. I know, looking at the rooftop, you know, looking at the rooftops of all these these homes on these, these, these... palatial mansions on these hills but trek and packs george clooney's house but yeah exactly (laughs) but 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 i was imagining while i was doing this really what i was doing i was teleporting myself to the tops of peaks in northern bc Mm -hmm. and alaska and you know other places that i have ambitions to go um so which was my fuel and so you know training is a big part of it you know physical you know know, strength you know health i'm a big you know i love i love um i'm a foodie um, skin. It's why it's why I hunt. It's why I fish. You know, I like I like clean living. 
Um, you know, not to the point of being, you know, crazy. That's for sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm clean steak, but a nice, uh, a nice Sangiovese or California red. I love or... <laughs> my, I love my Italian Piedmonte wines. I love my California, California cabs. You know, I love my whiskey. I'm a Canadian boy. You know, I drink rye whiskey and I love my bourbons and, you know, it's uh, absolutely. But Those are health drinks. They're kind of health drinks, health, right? Health for the soul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most of the time. And I like coffee, you know, like, you know, so, so you know, my daily regime would be training, exercise, um, you know, typically try to get a, a conference call, you know, first thing in the morning while I'm exercising and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's usually a soft call and, and then, you know, get it rolling starting to the day, um, you know first meal is a glass of lemon water and, mm-hmm. you know, start eating around noon, 11 o'clock. And that's kind of how the day starts. And, uh, and the American boxer skincare routine kicks in. Well, absolutely. <laughs> but really, you know, when, it, when I try to, you know, break it down for people and, and, you know, when I was young, I was, you know, quite an athlete and, and, and you know, some friends will you know, always chuckle when I say that, but I, I was quite an athlete. I trained like an absolute madman. And, and so, yeah, I kind of look more like you, Joel, than I do today, but, you know, <laughs> At this point, you know, in my life, it's all about efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it comes down to. It's not about, you know, getting that eight pack back, you know, it's really around feeling efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we're, you know, and I think that's where, you know, priorities and, 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 you know, you know, ambitions are tied to, you know, what are enablers. And, and so feeling efficient, being efficient, you know, when I want to go out in the mountains and, I'm efficient, I'm comfortable, you know, and am I going to be, um, that's all I'm going to do? No, I'm going to go skiing with my daughter. I'm going to go and, you know, go play hockey, you know, pickups, uh, get back into hockey and do some pickup. You know, I, I want to feel efficient. You know, I want to feel efficient moving around through the day. I don't want to have brownouts, you know, where I'm having to guzzle mountains of caffeine and, and, you know, dose myself with sugar to kind of, you know, see through these brownouts. Mm-hmm. And I think when you, 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 you truly think about your body as a temple, and you take care of it. And again, like self-care, you know, again, take care of yourself um, and find balance. Mm-hmm. And that gives you the permission to go out and kind of stretch at times when you want to have those, a few extra Manhattans and, you know, an old fashioned, you know, it's okay because it's all part of it. You know, and there, again, it's, it's not having hard lines, but maintaining a positive positive outlook and a positive, you know, um, you know, action, you know, really does create dividends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. I may have the six pack, but my, (laughs) my only real philosophy on fitness is to, I don't know where this came from, but I always said, if I was asked to climb Kilimanjaro tomorrow, yeah which has been a bucket list thing, I could do it. There would never be a, I have to train. I, I know you could do it. Yeah, but that's the, <laughs> but that's the basis is only that. And I agree with you, to, you know, I, I think that longevity, you know, hiking, running is very linear. Yes. And there's not a lot of longevity in linear um, fitness pursuits. You, you need to get lateral, you need to think about core, you need to think about these different movements. So I just think about it as, can I climb Kilimanjaro with a pack pack on and am I making sure that all the body works f- for the future? Yeah, you know, my grandma, and you know, you've probably seen this before, like my grandma is the oldest 70, you know, whatever, when she was 75, the oldest 75 year old, and she's the loveliest human being and heart and soul, but she didn't move 
sat right. in the chair. Right. And then eventually couldn't get out of the chair. Right. And th- everything that happened to her from breaking hips was a result of just that. Where's my her husband, my grandpa, out there blowing off the yard with the blower and raking and chopping. And, and he's the he's 92 now and he is fit as a fiddle. Yeah. You know, functional. He couldn't climb Kilimanjaro, but yeah. I bet you it wasn't long ago that he still could. So I digress. I agree with your philosophy on fitness. I agree with your philosophy on balance and mm-hmm. enjoying the fruits of one's labor and the fruits of, you know, Mother Earth. And I was thinking about it in our podcast when you talk about hunting and unpredictability in entrepreneurship and getting comfortable with the gray. And, you know, you and I have started hunting together. And I was thinking that one of the reasons that it's so mentally healthy to hunt is that you are, you really are, you are in an unpredictable environment mm-hmm. from the weather to the terrain not having any clue on God's green earth when you are going to see an animal that you can hunt, whether it's day one or day 15. And like the mental journey that one goes through on a hunt is so not just therapeutic because you're in nature and, and, and teaches you what you can accomplish physically, but like that mental ability to stay in it and keep in pursuit of that goal that is not visibly in front of you is really, is, is it hard to recreate that anywhere else? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not thinking about it, but then hunting and then the reward of when you're successful, bringing home the food that goes in your freezer and it's clean and it's, and you did it and you know that animal lived a good life. So. I don't know why I went on that tangent, but it just, uh, your, your, your training for the mountains inspired me. Do you want to add or? No, I, I mean, well, sure. I mean, sure. I can add to that. I mean, I, I, it's interesting trying to explain that to people who haven't experienced that. It's really difficult. It's really hard. It's really hard. And, and once you've experienced it, it really does become, I'm not going to say life changing, but it is life changing because you have a different perspective. And, you know, I had this conversation with someone the other day and, and, you know, there's, there's always, there's a huge part of culture and society that, you know, looks at hunting with a negative lens and deems it as being, you know, bad and and, and a lot of factors and I could never take a life, but unapologetically they can walk down to a supermarket and buy, you know, any sort of, you know, protein from chickens to beef to, and, and not wanting to know where those animals come from and not wanting to understand, you know, what that commercial farming looks like and, you know, how those, the life that those animals go through. And that's where, when we talked about earlier, like, how do you make change? Consumers make change. Mm -hmm. And so I made a change, you know, for myself, my life and, you know, and and for my family, I made that decision that, you know, I was going to, you know, again, I love food and I want to eat cleanly. I want to eat naturally. You made that choice yourself. So you understand that. And, um, and when you make that choice and then you start to live it and it's gratifying, it's fuel it, and, and, and ultimately you, you're, you're making a positive impact mm-hmm. mentally, physically, you know, on your kids, yourself, mm-hmm. you know, they, they know there's appreciation. It's really hard. Okay. You take that, take the hardcore vegan out of this equation, right? Because they have a good argument. <laughs> But you look at anything else and it's like that 
I'm going to turn a blind eye. I'm, in other words, I'm not going to take responsibility yeah. for how this thing ended up here. Right. In a nutshell, is how we've ended up here as a yeah. as a society. Is is too many blind eyes, you know, and as opposed to facing the thing, facing the hard decisions. I have to eat. I choose deep protein, so I'm going to take it upon myself to provide that protein for myself, or at least know yeah. where it came from and live in the balance of the hard balance of life and death, which is we always have to live in the hard balance of failure and success in a business. The hard balance of disappointing this employee, making this employee happy, letting them go, keeping, et cetera, et cetera. And our unwillingness to step into that, you use the word lean into that, limits our ability, I think, to be truly happy. Because when we live in the reality of how hard life is, but we lean into these decisions and we become I don't want to use the word hardened, but you're talking about that hero's journey. We become resolute and we become comfortable with who we are. Right. We're, f- we're freed from a lot of the bullshit. We are. Anyway, <laughs> I wanted to give you the chance before we wrap up here to just, was there anything I didn't ask you you wanted to add, um, say, impart, and then after that, just roll right into where can people find Rob and the American Boxer? Cool. No, um, thanks, Joel. Well, first of all, this has been great. Yeah. You know, I know it's taken a while for us to get together. <laughs> um, certainly, a lot of fun, and we could, you know, probably take this on the road and and you know probably find some more opportunities to do. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> I think it'd be a lot of fun. You know, really, I mean, yeah, I'm, I think this is great. I mean, I, I, first of all, on a personal level, thanks for the moment of reflection because I, I rarely get that, and and so it's nice to have a conversation and. You know, really explain some of the uh, you know the, the fortunate moments and throughout my career and, and the learnings that I've had. Um, you know, I can always be found you know through LinkedIn. You know, I'm I'm out there. You know, happy to have conversations. Happy to you know get involved in projects and you know at least you know be there as a you know for some wisdom if that's what it you know. I think you're my first guest to ever say you can be found on LinkedIn. There, <laughs> Most of them say my Instagram or. <laughs> Rob, you are. There you go. I'm dating myself. <laughs> well, I am on Instagram too, but it's, uh, you know, I'd say LinkedIn's probably the more, you know, yeah, effective you. place. Um, you know, uh, you know, with the American Boxer, mm-hmm. um, you know, shameless plug, the American Boxer, you know, it can be found on um, at, uh, at theamericanboxer.com. And that's theamericanboxer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, Joel, happy to give an extended, you know, discount for any of your, your followers. So you can use TYS20. Uh, and that's train your skin 20 TYS 20. And that uh, gives you a discount 20% off, um, you know, gain great product, organic, clean care for men, um, really trying to simplify and give men a solution that's easy to use. And, um, and it's funny, like we get so many women that are like, this is great. I've just, I've just, I've cracked the code. I figured this out before women have figured it out. And ironically, it's, it's very, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how, how, how the women respond to it. So, you know, we're really excited by, by that. And so, yeah, happy to kind of share more. Yeah. We'll put, a, we'll put that day. discount code into the show notes as well so that yeah. everyone can see it there and on all the pod catchers, which I thought pod was, catchers. that's the way it's just, that's the way it's is said. That, is that, is it? It's not 
all the different podcast platforms. It's all the different podcatchers. Podcatchers. I like that. That's good, right? Yeah, I like that. I like, that's good. Thank you, Rob. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. No, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on, of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace. Hey, thanks so much for making it to the end of the podcast. I know that my self and of course my guests really appreciate you listening all the way through you know, they put a lot of time into their projects and their ideas and and you know, they're very thoughtful with how they they bring themselves and show up on the show and so i'm really grateful that uh, that you've listened all the way through you know we don't have ads on the show i think i don't think red circle's running ads but i wanted to take just a quick second to say that hey if the spirit moves you you know this podcast can be brought to you by some of the wild, fun, wacky, creative things I do. I always try and stay in the practice of creativity, whether that's writing or working on films or uh, just about anything. I, I try and be very diligent that I'm I'm doing it consistently. And so, you know, as a result of that, I put some things out and and I'd love for you to check them out. You know, one is uh, Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. That's my book and you can get it anywhere where books are sold online like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Indigo. And uh, it's the story of my company, Naked Underwear, the first company I started that went from a failed attempt on Dragon's Den, um, your, that's your Shark Tank in America, to the NASDAQ and was eventually divested. And it has a ton of tips and ideas for startups, very practical advice, but it's always also interwoven with my own story, which I think entrepreneurs and creatives and artists can really, uh, would really relate to, uh, you know, it has almost 155 ish star, four and a half star reviews. And I think people, if you're going through, you know, a startup need some motivation, need some ideas, just want to feel like, Hey, there's a kindred spirit out there. You know, it's a great book to check out. Also, you can check out my blog at joelprimus.com forward slash blog, where I write a couple of blogs a month about a variety of topics, a lot of stuff on fitness, things like how to know when to quit, a lot of personal development, psychedelics, all kinds of things. Everything's written from a personal lens. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to digest a little bit of hopefully fun and helpful and inspiration. And of course, keep checking out this podcast, The Ramble on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever your podcatcher of choice is. Thanks again and have an awesome day, week, month, whatever it is.